0: This is The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. I'm Josh Morgan. I'm a sociologist and a writer, and I use this podcast to share stories from people who are making a difference in the lives of others, people like you and me. Laura Hale is the founder and president of the One Good Deed Fund, a nonprofit organization that's building community in the Old North End neighborhood of Burlington, Vermont one good deed at a time. She's established a fund to back local residents who have ideas for small acts of kindness, but can't afford to make them happen. So far, the fund has been successful at bringing people together in Burlington that may have otherwise never met. I talked with Laura recently about the project and about her work, and I'll play our conversation in a moment. There are lots of things I like about Laura's approach to building community. She understands that communities are built one relationship at a time. And she structured her fund to facilitate one-on-one interactions with that in mind. She also makes a point to get people talking on the same level about their needs, instead of one person imposing their expectations on another and calling it help. I like that she recognizes the problem of overlap in the nonprofit sector, too. And plus, I'm not aware of any other organization that connects people quite like hers. I really enjoyed my conversation with Laura. I probably related to her more than anyone I've talked to so far for the plural of you. I hope you'll find her story and her mission inspiring in the context of feeling powerless or scared. But just remember, if you're tired of how things are going, then be the person you've been waiting for. That's what people like Laura are doing. Here's Laura Hale, founder and president of the One Good Deed Fund. Hi, Laura.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: I'm great. How are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. Thanks.
0: I feel like I should be quiet for a moment and let you take a breath. It seems like you have all these different things going on.
1: Oh, no. Weekends are always more quiet for me. Don't worry about that. (laughs) Oh, good. Okay. (laughs) If you call me on a Thursday or something like that, I'd probably be like, okay, I have 10 minutes. Go. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I'm fine. Thank you, though.
0: Okay. So I discovered you and your work because of the One Good Deed Fund. Mm -hmm. Would you mind explaining the purpose of the project?
1: Sure. Sure. The idea is to connect neighbors who wouldn't necessarily otherwise know each other. And the way we do that primarily is by giving out gifts or grants of $100 or less to individuals who want to do a good deed for someone else but need funding to help make that happen, and specifically people who live in the Old North End of Burlington, Vermont.
0: Are there specific problems that you're looking to address in Burlington?
1: Yeah, so I've been in Burlington for about, goodness, 15 years now. And I came from right outside of Boston and moved up here after college. And it's a, it can be a really difficult place to break into. How do you mean? I, I mean, it's people who are from this area tend to already have their connections. Oh, I see. Yeah. And it's a college town. We have a university and two colleges in here, but it's also the largest city in, in Vermont with 42,000 people. So it's small. And there's a big transient population of students and people who are coming here for jobs and. I've heard from a lot of other people who had a similar experience to mine that it just can be really isolating. And in the Old North End specifically, we're the highest section of poverty in the city. We also have the highest amount of diversity. We have a a, a large community of different former refugees living here, which is fantastic because Burlington is um, an international resettlement community. And so we have all of the ethnic markets. We have... A lot of languages spoken here. We have two elementary schools. We have all of these things that are vibrant and wonderful, but we also have poverty and we have drug crime and we have three quarters rentals and very few owner occupied single family houses. So it's just a very continually transient part of the city. And I think when you have that, the connections between people break down pretty quickly if they ever start at all. And that's one of the things I really wanted to change. Goodness, I used to work for the city. And I worked. um, I did community development work for the city. And one of the things that we had was the Center for Community Neighborhoods. There was funding through community development block grants from HUD to fund community development projects. So if people wanted to have a block party or if they wanted to have a dumpster come in so that people could throw out their trash or if they just wanted to have a connection or a community dinner or something like that, there was funding for it.
0: I've never heard of that.
1: Yeah, it's very unusual. The community development block grants through HUD... Traditionally, get used for city support. Um, it tends to go to a mayor's office or a governor's office and just get used for you know whatever the city needs. But in Burlington, it had been sectioned off by the Community and Economic Development Office to have part of it specifically for community needs. And the funds have since dried up to the point where the Community Development Block Grant (CDBG) money is now specifically to fund an office in Burlington and then some nonprofit. So that pot of money is gone which is one of the things I was trying to replicate with the One Good Deed Fund. But it used to be that there were there was an office in the city, there were places people could go if they were like, listen, I feel really disconnected when I'm seeing this issue in my community and I don't really know what to do. And that has sort of gone away. And I think once that went away, there was a real gap in in how people could get involved in their community. And that's one of the things I saw. I, I continued to see people kind of suffer because they weren't connected to each other. And I really wanted to change that. And that's one of the things I I had anticipated doing with the One Good Deed Fund.
0: So what is your day job?
1: Ah, (laughs) the the one that actually pays my bills. Thank God for it. (laughs) Um, So I'm the executive director of the Vermont Coalition of Clinics for the Uninsured. And that's a network of 10 free medical clinics around the state.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yep. It's a great group of people. I deeply, deeply admire the work they do. We joke that we're the safety net for the safety net. So when there's nowhere else for people to go for medical help, or if they don't have insurance and they don't know how to get on insurance, um, they end up at one of our clinics.
0: Now, what brought you to Burlington from the Boston area?
1: Oh, an (laughs) ex-boyfriend.
0: Ah, I see.
1: (laughs) I think that's how a lot of people end up at their first place. Yeah, I loved Massachusetts. I loved being there. But after I graduated from college, my ex-boyfriend had a job offer from IBM up here, which is one of the largest employers in the area. After a couple of years, we broke up and I stayed. And actually now he's in Massachusetts, which is kind of funny, but <laughs> <that's how it> <laughs> <goes>. <laughs> I kept finding reasons to stay.
0: Well, that's nice. What was your major in college?
1: Theater, which I have not. I have not used one second since I graduated.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, my entire career post-college has been working in nonprofits or Working in government. I took a brief hiatus to be a bookseller for a couple of years when I couldn't really find any other work. But other than that, my career has been all in governance and public health and community building and neighborhood organizing and all that sort of stuff. And while I do use some of the work that I learned as a theater major, yeah, I have not done anything with theater ever since.
0: Yeah, I was just wondering how did you go from being a theater major to the career that you're in now?
1: Well, you know, I moved up here and I really thought I was going to keep going in theater. And I really liked sort of the really like strange experimental theater. So <laughs> I was pretty highly un- unemployable when I left. <laughs> but I had always heard that Burlington was a really big arts community. So I thought I would have no problem. And when I got up here, I realized that, yeah, it's a really vibrant arts community if you expect to volunteer your time when there was almost no jobs yeah. for it, which is you know true in a lot of places. And I saw an ad in the paper for a job working with nonprofits and technology. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I I did some work with nonprofits when I was in high school volunteering and things like that. And I have absolutely no experience in technology. So why not give it a shot? (laughs) (laughs) And I interviewed. It was an AmeriCorps VISTA position with the United Way of Chittenden County. And it was a pretty interesting program where you were helping nonprofits use technology strategically. And part of the partnership was IBM. I interviewed for the position. And by the time I got home, they'd offered me the gig. And so with almost no experience, <laughs> wow. I, I took that position. And I have to say that I absolutely loved it. And then after that, I couldn't find a job after my Vista terms were over. So I was a bookseller for a couple of years, which is what I did in, in college. But I knew after about a year that I really needed to go back into the world of mission-based work. And I have been stuck on it ever since.
0: It's interesting how that worked out.
1: It is. I kind of feel like... So many things happen by chance or happen just by this kind of gut feeling of I should try that. You know, even with the spectacular failures that everyone has, there's still a reason you tried it. Like there was a reason I read that job description and thought, huh, I could do that. That seems kind of interesting. And I was right. It, it, it did actually really fulfill me.
0: So coming back more to the present day, mm-hmm. is there a story behind what sparked the idea for the One Good Deed Fund?
1: Yeah. It, you know, so. You know, I had worked for the city, and I, I really felt a very deep connection to the people I was working with in the community, and and seeing this sort of spark in them of we can make this better, we can we can make all of this better, and I was like, yeah, we can, let's do this, let's make it better. And then seeing the resources dissolve, and I was like, oh, you know, and it just kind of punches you in the gut. Um, I had been running the AmeriCorps Vista program for the city, you know, which is interesting. I got tied back into when I first started my career. And I loved it. Oh, I loved it. And the funding went away. We lost our grant. And so I became a neighborhood organizer for the city on an interim basis. And again, I was just really touched by all these people who were really dedicated. And, and after that went away, I had about two years, I think, after I left that job where I was sort of doing consulting and things like that in the meantime. And I just kept going back to that. I was like, there has to be a way to make this work. There has to be a way to keep people connected in their community. I kept looking at other community groups. I kept looking at nonprofits and I kept thinking, okay, one of these is going to pick it up. You know, I was waiting. I was like, okay, someone's going to be this person. Someone's going to be this leader. Someone's going to take this on. And <laughs> it just didn't happen. And so I remember distinctly having a conversation with my friend Sarah, who is now a city councilor because she's amazing. And both of us just kept having coffee every week thinking, okay what are we seeing? What are the issues we're we're facing? How can we connect people to these resources? And we kept coming back to, okay, so that resource is gone. What are we going to do? It was a cold April day. Remember, I was in the shower and I was taking an extra long shower because it felt so good to be warm. And I was like, oh, son of a gun, I can fix this. What can I start with? What can I do that's small? And it just sort of hit me. I was like, I can help people connect to their neighbors by doing good deeds. I had been gardening. I, I love gardening. I love plants. I'm a plantaholic. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's everything. I, I I love watching them grow. I love the science of it. I mean, they're just miracles in nature.
0: There's like absolute virtue in it.
1: It is. There's nothing but wonder involved in watching a plant grow and thrive. And so I had created gardens in my front yard, which is very small. And I met a bunch of my neighbors doing it. I, I met Neighborhood kids, you know, I had a couple of kids I worked with a lot who had a really difficult home life. And this was their sanctuary coming out in the morning and ringing my doorbell at six in the morning, which is well before I would wow. like, <laughs> if they were really dedicated. Yeah. And we would spend hours out there and I showed them what were weeds and what were the plants and they helped me plant. And it was their sanctuary as well as mine. And I had wanted to give plants to my neighbors so they could grow gardens. And I just didn't have the finances for it. That kept resounding with me as, man, I wish I had had some way to make this happen over the summer. But the thing is, when you're looking for funding, if you're not a nonprofit, there's almost nothing. Like if you're looking at grants, all of them say no funding for individuals. So I kept looking at that. I'm like, okay, here are the problems. People aren't connecting with each other. There's no pot of money for neighborhoods. My neighbors don't know each other, and everyone is sort of stuck in their own little world. Like, how do I fix this? And it just sort of hit me. I was like, "Well, well, heck, I could start a grant fund." That afternoon, <laughs> I just kind of decided it was going to happen. I actually didn't want to start it as its own nonprofit. I wanted to make it a fund that was attached to some other organizations because I really i, I i've I've learned over the years that a lot of nonprofits start and they're replicating things that are otherwise being done. And I, I didn't want to do that. I
0: have noticed that too, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I really wanted to make sure I wasn't duplicating anything. If, if a structure already existed that I could just sort of hop onto, I was really interested in that. But the, the groups I talked to around town, pretty much everyone didn't have their nonprofit status, or they just didn't have the structure for it. Yeah, so I probably within a couple of days... Wrote the articles of incorporation and the bylaws because, you know, thanks to years in the nonprofit world, especially a couple as a fundraiser, I was intimately acquainted with what those are supposed to look like. And I floated the idea to several people. I got feedback. I convinced a couple of my dear friends who were also very, very smart, very dedicated people to be my board members. And we started. You know, I think it may have been literally a month between when I thought of the idea to when I got my friends to be my board members and we were up and running.
0: That's so cool. Now that this project's established, how do you get funding?
1: We get it all from the community. Um, I started it with a GoFundMe campaign. I wanted to raise $800 because I wanted 400 to cover the cost of applying for our 501c3 status. And then I wanted another 400 in grants. I ended up raising over a thousand in a week because I have very generous people in my life. And also because I was a fundraiser for years for the Boys and Girls Club here. So I knew sort of how to set up an ask. So we've ended up raising, I think, about three grand at this point and have wow. given out over a thousand in grants.
0: So, what's the process like for applying for a grant and then receiving a grant?
1: My intention and my board's intention has always been to make this as easy as possible. I know the word grant can be really intimidating to people. Mm-hmm. We made it as simple as possible. We stripped down all of the questions to what basically what we needed to know. So if someone wanted to get a grant, they go online to onegooddeedfund.org. They can either do the ap- application online as a form or they can download. And there's about, I don't know, six or seven questions, you know, who the applicant is, where they live who they want to do a good deed for, where they live, because we, the, the people that receive good deeds need to be in the Old North End, how much money they're applying for, what the good deed is, why it's important, and when it'll be done. And that's pretty much it. About every three three months, we do it about quarterly. I think we've, we've really pretty much decided to do it three times a year that we have these grant deadlines. The three of us get together, and we look through them, and very rarely do we say no Um, usually if we say no, it's because it's really not a fit or someone is applying for themselves and not for someone else. Or you have to be pretty far off the mark to not get some kind of follow-up. But we've had several that were close, but they weren't really a fit. And we've followed up with them. And I've met with plenty of people. And you know we're very involved when someone gets a grant. Yeah, so basically they submit their application to us. We get back to them on whether it's a yes, no, or maybe. There's some follow-up. The good deed gets done and then we pay for it.
0: I have the impression that a typical grant's like $100 or so. Is that the standard amount or does it vary?
1: That's our top amount. I think we've had grants that went for $40 up to 100 We had one grant that we were really heavily involved in that ended up not needing any money at all because it got donated. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, you know, it's really all over the map, but $100 is the most that we can do at this point.
0: Okay. And do you have any favorite stories of things these grants have allowed people to do?
1: You know, I have a couple. This might have been the first. If it wasn't the first, it was very close to the first. It was great about us because I knew both the person who applied and the person who was going to receive the good deed, but they didn't know each other. A friend of mine, Meg, had applied for waterproof boots for a woman who works at a local laundromat. And she didn't know this woman very well, but she had heard her say that she didn't have waterproof boots. I don't know if you know Vermont weather, but Waterproof boots are a must. Like we actually have a season up here called Mud Season.
0: Oh wow! Yeah. I never heard of that.
1: <laughs> I hadn't either until I moved up here. I thought people were kidding with me until I experienced it myself. So, and I having known both of them, they're both really strong, hardworking, self-reliant people. And I also knew that the woman who, who was the recipient, she was probably not just going to accept it. But I I loved it, and the board loved it. And we're like, let's make this happen. You know, sort of into that whole idea of making sure that people were connecting. We kept sending Meg back out. We're like, okay, find out her shoe size, get connected to her. So Meg had to kept coming to go back and talk to her. Oh, I like that. Yeah, which is great. Which is the point. Yeah. You know, and and convincing this woman Mary, who received the boots, you know that this wasn't something that she, you know she she and her husband are raising five granddaughters, and how can you know and she you know of course she wanted to provide for them. We're like, no, 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 this is for you. After many, many conversations, Mary finally agreed to take them. And it ended up in them, like Ma- Meg and Mary going shopping together and picking out the boots.
0: Wow. And
1: them online. But the best part of the story is that Meg's car broke down right outside of Mary's house. And then Mary ended up helping her replace her battery. So now they had this wonderful reciprocal relationship.
0: That's so cool.
1: And that's exactly what we were trying to do. We have a- another one where... A woman who I know because I'm part of an Old North End neighborhood safety team, she had a neighbor who had a lot of debris in her backyard and, and she had considered calling code enforcement to get it taken away. But a couple of us knew who that neighbor was. And, and that woman, Peggy, has been a long-standing force for change in Burlington and has been a longstanding advocate of women in the trades. So and she's just a pretty amazing person, but it's getting older. And she'd had a, her, a barn in her backyard burned down through an act of arson. And it turned out it was a couple neighborhood kids who did it. But Kelly, who asked for this, you know, who was kind of struggling with this, didn't know because, of course, from her perspective, she was looking into a person's yard that had all sorts of debris and it was, you know, there were raccoons and she was looking at critters and it was really destructive to her. Through talking to her, you know, it sort of molded from the idea of calling code enforcement and having a, a penalty attached to this to seeing how it could be turned into a helping opportunity. And over a couple of months, we talked a lot about sort of what was being done. And, you know, she met her neighbor. So Kelly and Peggy were connected. And, you know, we kept trying to push to, well, instead of just saying we're going to help, let's let's let Peggy dictate what help she needs. And at the end of it, I think probably six months after we had started this whole thing, we ended up with a neighborhood cleanup of Peggy's backyard. You know, it turns out she had had work crews come in. She did a lot of work herself, but, you know, just didn't have the physical capacity to take away a lot of the debris. So a lot of us came in and she directed everything that we took away. And Kelly and Peggy got to know each other and we had the whole thing. And the one good deed fund was going to pay for the cost of taking the trash away. But the person who took the trash away ended up donating because he was so touched by the whole thing.
0: That's great. Yeah. And I like how these stories are more collaborative in nature. Like a lot of times it can be like someone gets the idea that they want to target someone else to help Mm -hmm. and may not know exactly what the person or group needs. Right. So I like that there's this mutual understanding and a conversation that sparks because of these grants. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. I think that that's a, a very human instinct is to fix, you know, to, to see a problem and fix it. And it's less of a instinct to want to get other people involved and listen to them and understand their needs. And I think that's one of the things I really want to focus on with this is how are we like truly connecting people? Not I am the person in power who is doing something for you, the person without power. But how are we building community and empathy and sympathy and really getting to know each other and really collaborating on something that is good for both of us and the neighborhood?
0: Were there other organizations that you were inspired by when you put this together? You know, because I've never heard of anything like this except for maybe community chess funds from way back in the day.
1: Right. And frankly, I haven't heard of anything like this either. The things that have really inspired me have been the the people with very little resources and power who go out and do good things anyway. One of the programs that's always been incredibly inspiring to me is the Homeboy Industries Project. Right, in
0: California, yeah. Yeah,
1: and I've listened to Father Gregory Boyle be interviewed several times, and I've read his books and everything, and I think what really moves me about that entire thing, it's at the basis of all of it, whether it's getting someone a job, getting tattoos, lasers off, any of it, it's about building kinship between people. Like that, that's the healing part of it, is that it's not about someone in power helping someone who doesn't have power. It's about people meeting each other where they are and helping them and getting as much out of helping as they are out of receiving help. And, and that's reciprocity, and that it's truly done in this idea that we are all on this earth all struggling, all of us have our issues, but we can make a difference in someone else's life. And, and I've just found that so moving. And I think that without really identifying that as a piece of what I was trying to build into this, it, it was absolutely what I was trying to build into this. That, that idea of building community one good deed at a time is really it. It's that, you know, I think so much of what we face in this world, and if you look at the media, we certainly don't have to go far to find stories of, of horrible behavior and people really gutting each other and treating each other like crap. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I wanted to find a way to highlight that that's just a piece of the puzzle. There are so many people who are doing these small, wonderful, inspiring acts and that they don't get the publicity. Who helps a neighbor plant their garden is not going to get you know, national news, but that that is exactly what's happening every day, everywhere. And I just wanted to help facilitate that.
0: I think we have that in common.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would. Well, when I found your podcast, I was like, oh "My gosh, he's doing the same thing I am, just a little differently."
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, what keeps you busy outside of working with the fund and your day job? Because it seems like you're involved in all sorts of things.
1: I am. I fully admit to being someone who is addicted to getting involved in things. I'm part of the uh, Old North End Neighborhood Safety Team, so I, I get to work with neighbors and the police and all sorts of folks to try to talk about, you know do you feel safe? What are the things that we can do? Trying to empower people to get beyond fear and really think about, you know, what they need to feel safe where they are. I also have an art business. I I have my own small art studio and I make household goods out of old recycled toys because it makes me happy and other people seem to love them too.
0: So you're a found artist?
1: I am. Yeah. Okay. I I do upcycles. I love it. I love scouring I honestly, I love finding discarded things that have this incredible beauty of them, and, and sort of bringing that back to life. But what I really love doing, in addition to these these small projects I'm involved in, and you know, basically people contact me when they're like, "I have this idea, I don't know how to make it happen." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, we can do this!" <laughs> <laughs> but I do um, consulting for artists who want to grow up their business, and I also teach professional development classes through Burlington City Arts. Here, I do consulting for nonprofits, so I'm kind of a fixer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I I like helping people solve their problems.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, where do you think that desire to help people comes from?
1: You know, it's interesting. I I, I was interviewed a few weeks ago by a, a group of local folks. They asked me a lot of questions about where sort of this desire to to work on this stuff happened. And truthfully, I had a really kind of crappy childhood. It was uh, really difficult, and I was really afraid and I was very angry and I was very isolated and I wouldn't use the phone. Like I was terrified. I was just scared. I excelled in school, but I was very different from my peers and you know it was just it was a lot of stuff. It was a lot of stuff. It was a lot of PTSD and I was just angry and afraid. I think for a, a big chunk of my young life and through college too. And you know in my my early twenties I got married and was in a bad marriage and got divorced and so by my mid to late twenties I was really alone. And I think that was a real turning point for me. I think I was 27 or 28 when I was finally like... I think that's what it was. It was my 28th birthday. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I was like, I am living in so much turmoil. And I hate myself. And, I, and I, I don't trust other people. And I'm scared. And I just started breaking a lot of that stuff down. And I wish I could say that there was some really powerful, profound moment where that switch happened. But really, it was finding myself being very lonely. And saying, I just don't want to live like this anymore. Right. And, and, and all this time when I had been scared and fearful, the few people I did really trust in my life, I was incredibly loyal to them. And anything that they had wanted, I would help them. And so I sort of started to change the way I looked at people and understood that everyone had their own struggles. And that the people who I was most afraid of were also afraid. And I started to build that empathy for other people Bit by bit, as I got older, I kept realizing that everyone was scared, and everyone was fearful, and everyone was angry, and everyone was alone, and that we were all just trying to get through this thing. It's true. Yeah. And I think once I made that connection, I mean, it might sound cliche, but my heart really opened up. And I started to view people not as a threat, but as potential allies. And where I had gone my whole life, basically thinking that everyone was going to hurt me, I just sort of realized that everyone else had already been hurt. And I I started to really just want to help people. Uh, and it became almost impossible for me to see someone else suffering and not step in. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it comes from. But I can't see someone else suffer and not need to step in and see what I can do to help.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just have hit a point in my life where I see everyone as, as doing the best they can. And whereas when I was younger, I saw everyone as a, a force for great evil. I, I think now I just see everyone as a force for great good. And I realize that some people need more helping hands to get to the place where they can really exercise that good than others, but we're all capable of it. We're all capable of great good. I got to tell you, when, these, when I give out the grants, it is just when I tell people they're getting a grant, it, it makes me so happy. Like, I will fundraise till the cows come home to give out money to help someone do something nice for someone else. Like, it just makes my day.
0: That's so great. And thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of people can probably relate to those circumstances. Like, I know I, I sort of had a messed up childhood, too. And it's like you said, there wasn't one event that sort of flipped my direction. It was a, a gradual change that happened over time. So I'm glad you're doing okay now, though.
1: Yeah, it's you know it's funny. I've I've my closest friends are people who also had difficult lives, and I think we all just sort of bond in that mutual face of, man, we have gone through some stuff, but <laughs> look where we are now, mm-hmm. you know. And it dictates your sense of humor, and it dictates everything. And we are incredibly strong people. But I think that that's sort of a, a mistake that people make is they think that people who are leaders and the people who are helpers, like we must have had just had the perfect lives. And I think the people who make the strongest leaders and the strongest helpers are the ones that have been through it and back. Makes sense. Yeah. You know, you know, I feel like one thing I continue to see is that the more community connections you have, the more safety net you have, the more positive interactions you have in a day, the better able you are to handle all the crap that gets thrown your way. And if That's I can, right. And if I can do that for the One Good Deed Fund in addition to the other stuff I'm doing, then I am just absolutely thrilled.
0: So. If anyone were to hear this and felt inspired to start something similar in their own area, would you have any advice that you would give? Like, is there anything that you would do differently that you've learned?
1: I don't know that I would do anything differently. I would recommend people reach out. Reach out to other groups that already exist. Reach out to people who have the professional expertise to make this stuff happen. Ask a lot of questions. Figure out if you're trying to solve, like, I mean, I I say this to people I work with when I'm writing grants too, like, how do you know this is a problem? Are you trying to solve something that doesn't actually exist? Really understand the other resources that already exist, understand how they work, what the shortcomings are, what the successes are, just keep asking questions and you'll come down to the heart of what you want to do. But I would say a big piece is who are you bringing in with you? especially if it's a problem for that people are are facing, are you bringing them in with you? You know, are you empowering the people who are having the difficulties that you're trying to solve? You know, are they part of the leadership structure? Are they part of the people making decisions? You know, we have enough top down structures in this world. You know, don't recreate one.
0: And I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the One Good Deed Fund inspiring collaboration rather than trying to target people.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. We all have enough moments in the day where we are the recipients of other people's decisions. And I really, really encourage people to bring as many folks as possible in on the decision-making process.
0: So where can we follow you or the One Good Deed Fund online?
1: The main way to keep in touch is through www.OneGoodDeedFund.org. We are on Twitter and Facebook it's Facebook.com slash fund, And same thing with Twitter. It's at One Good Deed fund.
0: Okay. Is there anything I haven't asked that you would like to talk about?
1: I would just say that, you know, we can all do this. I think it's very easy to stand outside and say, well, I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. But you can do small things. I mean, I think that's really what I want to encourage people to do is Small good deeds make a big difference.
0: That's true. There,
1: there are a lot of research on kids that are in foster care that while your average child who's in a loving home has about 30 positive interactions a day, kids in foster care have like one positive interaction a day. How are you supposed to build resiliency if they don't have that? And I would say that that falls true for all of us at different parts in our life. Sometimes we have one positive interaction a day and sometimes we have 30 and there's a lot of research, too, that says that it takes five good interactions to outweigh one bad one. And, and I really just encourage people to be the positive influence there, even if it's something small, even if it's asking to hold a door for someone, if they need a door held. You know, it's, it's really small things, but those are really the game changers.
0: Right. Well, I guess that's all I have.
1: Okay, great.
0: I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for making time.
1: No, thank you so much. I was so happy to be asked. It's like I've for some reason lately people have been asking me to talk about this stuff and I'm like, I will talk to anyone about this stuff.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, glad to do it.
1: Yeah, fantastic.
0: Yep. All right, Laura. Have a good day. You too. This is the Plural of You. I'm Josh Morgan and the show's website is pluralofyou.org. That's all for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care.